Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the union pilots of JetBlue. Now from New York, Ride Report. Hello, everyone. Happy holidays and welcome back to another episode of Ride Report. I'm Captain Tim Coombs, P2P Vice Chairman. And I'm First Officer J.R. Hall, Central Air Safety Communications. Hey, before we get started, a quick ask for you to spread the word about Ride Report. Our podcast is a production of the JetBlue Alpha MEC, and we love your feedback and topic ideas. If you like it, let us know. If we should focus on something that you believe is important, it's as easy as sending us a PDR. With the holiday season upon us, we are shifting the focus and highlighting a committee that you have undoubtedly heard of, the Pilot Assistance Network, or in short, the PAN Committee, or PAN. Regardless of your level of awareness of this valuable resource, we feel it's important for all of our listeners to pay attention to the entire segment in order to walk away with what hopefully is a greater understanding of stress, mental health, and some strategies and resources for managing them both. This could prove invaluable up to and including saving a life. Joining us today are PAN Committee Chair, First Officer Carrie Brown and Vice Chair, Captain Mike Strauss. How's it going? Hi, good morning. Going great. Thanks for uh, taking some time out of your schedule to brief our listeners here on, on what I feel is a kind of a sacred committee within the ALPA organization, the PAN Committee. Before we move into discussion on the work of the PAN Committee, let's just get to know a little bit about you first. Uh, we'll start with you, maybe you, Carrie, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, give us a brief introduction and, and what your background is volunteering with ALPA. So my name is Carrie Braun. I'm a first officer on the 320 in Orlando. I started my volunteerism at JetBlue with the Blue Pilot Fund. I'm the secretary of the Blue Pilot Fund. I became the secretary in 2017. And then shortly thereafter, I was asked if I wanted to be on the PAN committee um, by another person that was on the PAN committee. And I said yes. And then shortly thereafter, I was asked if I would be willing to chair the committee. And again, I said yes. And then shortly thereafter, I was asked if I would be willing to volunteer at National for the PPS program, which is the PAN program at National. And then shortly thereafter, I was asked to become the chair of the National PPS PAN Committee. Um, Clearly, I have issues saying no, but it's really a passion of mine. Mental health is something that's super important and making sure that pilots don't feel alone and have resources and places to go. You know, we're so we're so type A, I got this people that, you know, we don't really ask for help when we need it. And that's a great disservice because there's a lot of help out there. And um, just having that camaraderie is a big thing for me. So I'm happy that I get to be a part of offering that to our pilots. And uh, we're lucky to have you as a, as a part of that as well on both the local and the national level. Mike, to you, same question. Give us a quick digest of your background and, and participation, not only with ALPA and PAN, but in general. Well, my name is uh, Michael Strauss. I'm a 320 captain out of JFK. I've been here for just over 15 years, trying to walk in Carrie's footsteps. I can't say enough about Carrie and her passion, her wealth of knowledge of this issue uh, affecting our peers. I joined this committee under somewhat sad circumstances. You know, I lost two of our, two of my friends, JetBlue pilots, to mental health issues. I reached out to the committee. I heard about the committee. I reached out to the committee, talked to Carrie about what can I do to help because this, this can't continue. Carrie invited me to join. The, to join. Uh, this has been coming up on three years now, and I couldn't be any happier to be here and be a part of this. Carrie's just recently asked me to be vice chair, which, again, 
is um, an honor, a great honor to serve our pilots. I don't have much uh, experience with output. This is my first airline, so I'm new to this. So I'm still learning, and I'm, I'm glad from what I see, the resources available to our pilots is phenomenal. And our committee, we have a slogan. I stole it from a chief pilot. It says, talk early, talk often. And it just it says what we really need to do. And as Carrie mentioned, pilots as a, as a whole, we're eight, eight type A personalities. We compartmentalize. We can fix it. We don't need help. We can stand on our own legs without anybody. And in fact, we all need help. Even the caretakers, people on this committee sometimes need to talk to other caretakers. This is our mission is to just let everybody know that they've anybody and everybody has someone to talk to. Well, and, and to speak to the, the larger mission in general, both you and Mike and Carrie can't obviously do all of the support work alone. What's the size and the structure of the remainder of the PAN committee within JetBlue? We have 18 committee members. We're still fairly new. I'll let Carrie expand on how she wants to grow this committee and her plans for that. But right now we have 18. And I will say that there's not been a pilot that hasn't been able to reach another pilot with that number. They say the ideal number is 1% of your pilot staff, so we should have 40 volunteers. Right now, with the 18 volunteers that we have, we've been able to handle the the call frequency, uh, and I see that we'll be able to handle it going forward. We do have several people that want to join our committee as volunteers, which I am super grateful for. Uh, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we haven't been able to offer any initial trainings for our volunteers, so hopefully coming in 2021-2022, we'll be able to experience our committee more, but that's um, but that's the hope right now. I'm super grateful to have the 17 other members that I do have. They're incredible volunteers, all of them. So, and all of them are super passionate about helping pilots. I'm I'm very lucky. Now, Carrie, as, as a follow up to that conversation, is Pan represented across all of our bases at JetBlue? Yeah. So we have uh, we have. We have volunteers in every single base. The difference from other committees like Pro Stands or HEMS, other PA committees, is we're not focused on getting somebody in base, talking to somebody in base. If a, if a pilot calls the PPS number, um, they could be talking to any pilot in any base. We don't really see uh, a need to have it be with somebody in base. If they have a request to speak to somebody in their own base, we'll honor that request. Um, but it's not at the forefront of what we do to make sure that we match up base and base. But we are represented in all the bases. Okay. And for those who are listening who just may not be familiar, in general with what the PAN committee does. Can you just give us a, a brief overview of exactly what the committee is? We are simply, as the title says, we are here to assist and support our peers, no matter how small or how big. If you need to talk or think you need to talk, talk. Give us a call and we'll talk. We are a committee of trained volunteers that help pilots deal with whatever stressors they're going through in that time, whether it's work-related, health-related, family, financial, even if it's not directly impacting them, maybe it's a friend of theirs or a family member of theirs, we're there to help them organize and come up with a plan of action to deal with whatever they're going through. You know, as pilots, we have a very specialized career and oftentimes we think that people don't understand what we're going through because of the differences in our careers for other people. And so it's important to have that person that can commiserate and understand when you say, you know, hey, I just flew a red eye and then I went home and this happened and what that actually means for that person. Um, and so it's important that we have that peer connection of, of somebody who's trained and understands and then can help walk the pilot 
pilot through whatever situation they're dealing with. So in a way to reach out to the pain committee, we'll, we'll give the number here several times, 309-PPS-ALPA, 309-PPS-ALPA. It's on the bottom of almost every union communication that comes out because of the importance, Mike, to drive back to your slogan, talk early, talk often. Are there any other means to get in touch with the PAN committee for somebody that might not need to pick up the phone and make a telephone call, but wanted to, to reach out in a different way? Is there a PDR system, a, a PDR method? There is not. We don't even have an email listed on our website, simply because this is absolutely 100% confidential. So we don't put anything on paper. It's just, it's a phone conversation. It's peer-to-peer. It's face-to-face. If you can, it's phone call, you know, face-to-face being a phone call. Although I've gone to meet with pilots. It's, it's, that's how we do it. If a pilot does want to email us, they can send an email to myself or any of my committee members. Our names and our email addresses are on the website. But what we ask is that you just simply send us a one-liner. Hey, I'd like to talk to a PAN volunteer. or Hey, I'd like to talk to you as a PAN volunteer. We try to keep, we want it to be confidential and non-reporting. And so we want to limit all electronic communication. So just send us a, a line like, hey, I want to talk. And then we'll call you back and we'll talk to you or we'll set up a time to make sure. But it's important for us to uphold confidentiality and to let the pilots know that when they contact us, it's completely confidential. And so limiting that contact is important. Does PAN ever reach out to a pilot and initiate that contact? Would that be something that PAN does? Like kind of like a, just to use as an example, pro, pro standards might say, hey, we got a report of this. And so we're reaching out to you. Is that Does that work like that with PAN as well? No, we don't reach out. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the first reason being that confidentiality piece. If if we call, if somebody says, hey, you know, hey, Carrie, call Mike. He's going through a hard time. And then I call Mike. Mike's going to have a bunch of questions. Where did, where did I get his name from? Why am I calling him? And it immediately puts up that barrier of, I, you know, I don't want to talk to you. Who are you to know anything about my life? The other reason beyond that is when, um, if you look at mental health models, psychologists, psychiatrists, it's important to have it be self-directed. When somebody contacts you, they are invested in solving their own problem or getting through their own issue. So by making that first phone call, they're saying, hey, I want to do something about my situation and I'm willing to do something about my situation. And as a result of that, we have great success versus somebody feeling like they've got to talk to you or they're forced to talk to you. Um, and then on top of that, it's important because because then we don't, if somebody asks us, are we working with somebody? Hey, I told you to call this person. Did you call them? There's no answer to that, you know, without giving away some information. And so by not doing it that way, but there are ways, if you're worried about somebody, somebody you've flown with, a friend of yours, to get them to contact us. A, a way that I like to tell people is pilots love free stuff, right? That's our thing, you know? So right. I tell them, hey, Tell your, tell your buddy, like, hey, have you thought about calling PAN? They have some great resources for you and sell it that way. Maybe you don't need, like, to talk to anybody. Maybe, you know, maybe you're, you're okay, right? But they've got some resources for you. And so the pilot will call us looking for those resources, which we do have, but that'll get them to open up and start talking about what's going on for them. And we find that to be a really effective way. The impressionable point is to tell them to pick up the phone and call because the call's not going to be coming to the individual. Absolutely. Now, if we could, I mean, let's say a pilot reaches out with that and takes that first step of calling 
you and in, in saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling or I'm, I have some stress in my life. What is the general interaction or I guess sequence of events that would take place after that first initiation on the pilot's behalf to, uh, to reach out to the PAN representatives? First, number 309 PPS ALPA or for those that are uh, alphabetically challenged, 309-777-2572. And I'll repeat it, 309-777-2572. It goes to a 24-hour call center. Typically, the pilot just calls and says, hey, my name, or they might not give their name. I'm a JetBlue pilot. I'd like to talk to one of your support members. Great. What's your phone number? Let me get in touch with with someone. And the way the call center goes is they have a rotating list of, of our pilots, our trained pilots to discuss. And they'll start at the top, run their way down. And usually, I'd say 99% of the time, you're in contact with the pilot within 10 minutes. And then that's when the conversation starts. And again, we started off with, it's confidential. Feel free to say what you want. Not taking notes, not writing things down. It's just between you and me. We're just peers. What's, what's bugging you? And then from there, you know, the very first thing that we do is, you know, assess for needs and safety and a safe place to talk. So, you know, is the pilot in a place where they are capable of talking with us, where do they have enough time where they can speak openly? And the airplane or in the jet bridge is probably not the best place to talk to us. We'll talk to you anywhere. But, you know, we want to make sure that you're in a good spot so that, so that we can have a conversation. Uh, the conversations, you know, pilots call up looking for a quick fix but oftentimes these conversations end up going an hour or more because this is the first time the person has had an ability to talk about what's going on for them. So they have a lot to get off their chest. Um, And then from there, we listen. We just listen. We let you tell us whatever you're going to tell us. And we don't judge. We don't, we don't tell you you're wrong. We just listen. And then after that, we, we provide that hope and encouragement, you know, because everybody thinks that they're the only person going through this. But oftentimes, you're not the first pilot that's had family issues or financial issues or whatever the issue is. And more than likely, somebody else has already dealt with it. And we know the right path to get you to a better place. And so we can help you come up with that path because it's going to be different for everybody. But we're going to get you to that better place. And then the very last thing that we do is access appropriate resources. And they might be internal within ALPA, other committees, uh, reps, national programs, or it might be outside of ALPA, things like the Blue Pilot Fund or, you know, support groups. It might be a mental health professional for, for family counseling or individual counseling or for somebody else So or support groups. There's so many resources out there, some of them pilot-focused, some of them not, that we're trained on that we can, that we can help guide you to. You know, and that's basically the framework for our phone calls and what happens. And that's a lot that gets packed into an initial phone call, right, Carrie? Taking it from somebody that's willing to pop the scab, if you will. Now they've taken that first step. Are there any other additional steps after what we've just discussed, finding help within other committees or help within other entities? Are there any other steps that a particular situation may continue through? So it depends on what you mean by additional steps. For pilots love a checklist, right? That's that's our thing. So oftentimes I'll come up with uh, with the pilot a list of three or four things that they'll, that they'll need to do, whether it's contact another committee, contact the chief 
file it, you know, maybe, maybe look for some help, download an app, whatever it is, some action items that they can do um, to make their situation better that they, that they want to do. We're not here to force you to do anything. So it's whatever they want to do and what feels right for them. And so we come up with those action items. If you're talking about furthering steps from a mental health professional, then we, if we've encouraged somebody or somebody wants to go see a mental health professional, we help them work through the steps of how to do that safely and make sure that their medical is going to remain intact. And there are several great resources, whether it's the Alpa Aero Medical Office at AMAS or whether it's contacting legal, or we do have a mental health professional on staff with ALPA to help us with some of our more difficult situations. And so there's a lot of resources to help protect your medical if you do want to see a mental health professional. And I, I think it goes without saying that this is obviously for, for anybody involved, especially the, the one making the telephone call, it's a really scary time. And you're really, I mean, you, you think back and you're weighing everything, my entire career, everything I've worked up to, and now here I am talking to this individual on the phone, finally getting the help that I need. And now you bring in, in some specific conditions, you're bringing in the company into this problem as well. And that could really make it more frightening. If I understand this correctly, you guys within PAN are still assisting that pilot through every step of that process, right? You're still somebody they could fall back on for support if they need it. We're here 24-7. Some way, somehow they'll get a hold of us. And so the, the quick answer is yes. And there are a lot of resources, starting with Alpa resources. There are company resources, and the support we have we have been told in the report and the excuse me the results we have seen from the chief pilot's office and management in general. Uh, their support is unwavering. They're on board with us to help their their pilot group. And there are some pilots that call and they talk with us once and that's all they need. And we don't hear from them again. There are pilots that I'll call back the next day or weekly. There's pilots that we work with for an entire year, but again, it's self-directed. So it's what they need from us. If they want to keep talking to us, we will keep talking to them until they don't want to talk to us anymore. And we'll help them, you know, once they get through that for, for more for people dealing with more complicated things, once they get through those first few things and they come back and say, great, that worked, or no, it didn't work. Okay, well, what's the next steps? What are some other things that we can do? Who else do we need to involve to better your situation? Maybe we need to talk to the chief pilot. And again, it's self-directed. So it would be that pilot contacting the chief pilot. We would never contact a chief pilot or talk to a chief pilot about a case. And Mike's right. We've seen some great results. We've had pilots that themselves have disclosed to the chief pilots that they're, that they're working with us and our chief pilots have been incredibly supportive and willing to help those pilots. And we've seen some great results. Can't say enough about that. Now, Carrie, as a follow on to that, I think maybe there's some underlying, uh, I'll speak in a general way, maybe some underlying, uh, as the college people call it, Sunday scaries about having to report these kinds of issues for, let's say, like a medical, uh, a flight physical and getting into that territory. How does how does PAN fall into, into the mix when it comes to uh, maintaining your your medical for work? So usually family counseling and marital counseling is not reportable. We still refer people to the Alpha Aeromedical Office, AMAS, because they are the experts, they're the doctors, and so they'll be able to walk you through that. Visits through an EAP are sometimes reportable, sometimes not. Again, we will have the pilot talk to AMAS to help clarify what is and what isn't. And then basically 80% of the pilots that contact us do not seek help from a mental health professional. A, a help at a peer level is enough for them and accessing resources is enough for them. 
Of the remaining 20%, 12% of those pilots seek help from a mental health professional and they do report it on their medical and most maintain flying status. You can see a mental health professional and keep your medical. Seeing a mental health professional does not necessarily mean the end of your career. In most cases, it's just the opposite. People should not be afraid of seeing a mental health professional. Then the of the of the remaining 8%, those people are people that have chosen to go and get on medication for mental health issues oftentimes, and most of those do return to flying. There is a path to return to flying while on medication. The FAA has several medications that are approved for pilots that they can fly on. The process to get on them requires short-term disability and some hoops to jump through. And again, we refer them to AMAS, but it, but we've had several pilots at JetBlue that have worked with PAN that have come through the SSRI protocol and gotten the help that they've needed. And two pilots in particular that I have worked with have called me up after the entire process was over and have said to me, man, I'm so glad that I did this. I can't believe I waited this long. I needed this help. I was just so scared. And now that, you know, now that I've been through it, yeah, okay, I was on disability for, you know, for a few months, but now I'm back and I feel better than ever. And so though two of those people have offered to talk to pilots that have, that also want to get on medication because it is not career ending and seeing a mental health professional is not career ending. So it's important for pilots. I know we have this ongoing fear of reporting things, but AMAS is a great resource for us. Our legal is a great resource for us. And, and there is light, there is help out there. So I don't want, I know that it's super scary, but the bottom line is seeking help does not mean an end of your career or your medical. You know, PAN, PAN networks uh, across several properties are seemingly becoming an integral part of pilot labor groups. Have these networks been around for a while? Yes and no. So British Alpha's Pan has been a, has been around for a, for a while now, and Delta's Pan has been around for for a while, and FedEx's Path. But what really was the catalyst was the German Wings accident and the Stiffung Mayday accident uh, that really put a focus on pilot mental health. And in 2015, the Aviation Rulemaking Committee on Pilot Fitness met, and they and they recommended peer programs for mental health for pilots. And they laid out the directive of the best way to do it. At JetBlue, our program was started before the national program was started, but we've since gelled into the national program. And so has FedEx's, Delta's, and United's. We're all under one umbrella now. Um, and so we've really taken what the Aviation Rulemaking Committee had to say and, and best practices from a mental health standpoint and melded that all into to one group that's singularly focused on making sure that pilots get the help that they need. I want to change topics here for a few minutes and just talk about the actual stress itself, okay? I mean, 2020 obviously has been you know, arguably one of the most stressful times that any of us can remember. If you can, can you speak to our listeners a little bit about what kinds of trends we're seeing with respect to stress and mental health just in general? If you've been watching the news, you kind of see what the world is going through. The pilots are going through exactly the same, maybe on a little bit different level because our careers are so dependent on, let's say, the rest of the world's economy. So greater issues with job security concerns, family issues with potential financial issues. It's a lot of the same that the world's going through. And this is where we just reiterate to our pilots, get out there and talk to us. Talk early, talk often. Don't be afraid. If you think it's little, it's still something. So 
reach out. I know Carrie's got a lot to say on this one. She's very, again, as I mentioned earlier, Carrie's passion and knowledge is, uh, is phenomenal. So, Carrie? So there's there's a lot of different things. The, the uniqueness of the COVID crisis is I lump stressors into four major categories, family, financial, career, and health. And the, the issue with the COVID crisis is that it affects all four of those. So it's not just a stressor in one area of your life. It's a stressor across the board. And as a result, the CDC and the WHO are now reporting that instances of depression and anxiety are increasing fourfold. Not only that, in a recent uh, question to Google, Google has come out and reported that Google searches for depression, anxiety, and suicide have, an have increased at an alarming rate. So it's something that everybody is thinking about, everybody's looking at, everybody is feeling. So maybe it's not you yourself, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your coworker, you know, but it is affecting everyone. And they don't have the new rates of, of the suicide, they don't have the new suicide rates, but we are seeing an alarming trend in, in an increase in suicides as well. So to think that you're not going to be touched by this, you are. Everyone's going to be touched by this, regardless of, of where they are in their life and what they're do, dealing with as far as family, friends, career. So, and we see that isolation too. You know, the one thing about COVID is it disrupted our lives and we're being told stay home, isolate, social distance. And these things, we're, we're a pack animal society, right? We are very social creatures. And so having that be a, be a function and meeting via Zoom is a thing. People, you know, yes, it's great because we get to stay connected, but it's not the same as sitting and having a coffee with somebody or, you know, or being able to hug your mother and things like that. And so those very simple connections affect the chemistry in our brain as well. Physical touch releases a chemical called oxytocin, which is a feel good chemical. Um, so there's a lot of that that's happening um, that's that's just underneath the surface that is, that is really taking an impact on everyone. And I think it's safe to say that we've all lost that ability to have those conversations like we normally would just you know flying once a week right back pre-covid and it's it's that time to to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation in the flight deck on the way to the hotel and in, in the van what have you that essentially is gone an ability to to have that good conversation with that friend and be able to to hear about or, or at least identify some of the things that you were talking about, Carrie. Yeah, you know, I talk about cockpit confessionals. It's a funny name for it, but but we all know, you know, you get in the cockpit, you close that door, and all of a sudden the other person just opens up about what's going on in their life, right? And that's probably the first time that they've talked about it. And so even our ability to do that um, and come together that way is limited. And so it's really important, you know, if you're feeling the need to talk, you don't need to be in the airplane behind a closed door. You can give us a call at 309 PPS Alpha. Now, Carrie and Mike, what are some signs that I, or maybe even somebody that I'm flying with might be in need of a call to the PAN committee? So if you're a normal, happy-go-lucky, get along with everybody pilot, and perhaps you have, you get into a an argument or a disagreement with a flight, another flight crew member that you would normally just be able to work through simply or a dispatch or something like that. You might want to go to yourself, huh, this is a little bit outside of my normalcy. What's going on? So maybe, maybe that's a simple reason like that to reach out. Maybe some big family issues at home. Um, talk about divorce or, you know, a child in, in some distress or maybe a health issue at home with a child or a family member. All of these things could, could create a reason to, to call us. 
Yeah, and there's some very simple things. Are you sleeping more than normal? Are you not sleeping as much? Are you having nightmares? Are you are you having ruminating or repetitive thoughts about things? Are are you easily distracted? Do you enjoy, do doing the things that you used to enjoy you don't enjoy anymore? Or maybe maybe you've chosen not to do the things that you enjoy. Maybe you're a social person and you've isolated or anything that's basically out of your norm is something to look at and think like, hey, maybe I should talk about something. You know, in the airplane, the I, I give this analogy a lot. It's like a non-normal in an airplane, right? Mm-hmm. When you see that indication in the cockpit, what's the very first thing you do before you even get to any lights? You look at the person next to you and you're like, hey, did you see that? That's weird, right? And what's the next thing? You know, then then the amber light follows it right after usually. Okay, what now what are we doing? We're grabbing the QRH, we're grabbing the QRC, we're running checklists, we're expanding our toolbox, we're expanding our team. Maybe we're contacting the company, maybe we're contacting the flight attendants, maybe we're contacting ATC and we're getting more tools to deal with what we're dealing and we're expanding our team. Stress is very much the same. If you leave that, if you let that indication go and you don't respond to it, it's going to get worse. And we don't want to have it get to uh, to an amber or to a caution or a warning light. We want to catch it when it's that first indication. We'll, we'll talk to you if the wings are falling off and the, and the tail's on fire, but we, we want to try to get to it at a lower level. I tell guys, if you're if you're in a hotel room and you stub your toe and you're sure that it's JetBlue's fault or your spouse's fault, call us. You can tell us about how it's everybody else's fault <laughs> that you stubbed your toe. We'll listen. And I think that yeah. that's, that's an important thing is to know that, you know, to reach out again, talk early, talk often and to know when to reach out. And so if you're talking to somebody and they're saying, you know, man, I, I didn't sleep at all last night. Oh, huh. Why? What's going on? Maybe we can help you figure out what some of those reasons are just by talking to us because we understand the lifestyle and the career path you've chosen. I think we do think we're all kind of invincible from this stuff, right? We, we, <laughs> we do compartmentalize stress and, and anxiety quite well because even though it is, you know, to use Carrie's situation, non-normal, right? We're probably yeah. all moderately terrified inside, yet ice cold on the outside telling somebody to do something or going for the book. But when it comes to these stressors, now we're outside of the airplane. We're away from work. We're not in uniform. We're not on duty. We're at home. We're sitting on our couch. We're having these conversations with the spouse. We're looking through bank accounts. We're looking, we're uh, really, it's as simple as I'm used to this amount of time and income every month. And now it's a little bit less. And that's a dramatic stressor and that's a dramatic increase just in that one aspect alone. Yeah. And it just, it snowballs from there. It really does. And you don't realize that it's affecting, once you get one stressor, well, that's taken away from something else. So now it's going to add to something else beyond that. And it's just going to continue until you get to this point. And again, talk early, talk often. The littlest thing, we don't care how small it is. Hey, I stubbed my toe. It's JetBlue's fault. Hey, call us and tell us why you think that. And we'll listen to you. And then you'll go at the end of you talking to us without, you know, just, just us listening, you might kind of go, yeah, okay. I just need to relax a little bit or, you know, focus on other things that I, that are far more important in my life. 
Yeah, and what Mike's alluding to is something we call the stress pyramid. You know, little stress adds, and then another thing happens, and then another thing happens. And our coping mechanisms are, we have all these coping mechanisms, whether it's working out, talking to friends, eating healthy, you know, watching movies, whatever, doing things that we enjoy. But there comes a point where the stress gets to a level that our coping mechanisms no longer uh, are adequate. And it's at that point that, you know, that we start seeing that change in behavior or change in mentality and that's when it's important to reach out and I know you mentioned like talking to your spouse well right now we're seeing an increase in divorce rates and we're seeing that because now we're all hanging out with our spouses right we used to leave for for 14 days a month and now we're not leaving for 14 days a month and that can cause some issues and so so even that change in your normal routine if you don't have somebody to say like man this is tough and this is what I'm thinking if you're just in your own head you know where it's it's when you say things out loud, number one, it takes the power away from a bad situation, but number two, it helps you realize what's really important. And so having that and getting out of your own head is super important and being able to see that kind of stuff. So in keeping with the theme of, of maintaining communication network, what are some ideas that, that you guys might offer to somebody who's feeling these types of emotion, but they don't feel like they need to pick up the phone just yet. They want to engage in a little bit of self-help. Is it just picking up the phone and calling a buddy? Is it, I have a, a, a weekly Zoom call with friends of mine from, from all over. I mean, friends from high school up through now here at JetBlue and, and we all have a chance to get together and I've found that to be quite therapeutic and, and airing of grievances. But is there anything that you guys have, have found, especially throughout this year, to be a lot more beneficial now, you know, more than ever? Right now, Agreed. We don't have the ability, as Carrie talked about, cockpit confidential. So we kind of work through some of our issues and stressors without even really knowing we're doing it. When we go flying, we spend time with someone that understands our life and our and our our job and what that brings home or what it doesn't bring home. So yeah, right now it's it's tougher. So yeah, reach out to a friend. If you're not ready to reach out to us, reach out to a friend just like you would if you're flying with someone or you know, there's a lot of simple things that can make big differences. So, you know, a lot of pilots don't like hippie words or new age type stuff, but what you're talking about is basically a self-care plan. How can I make sure that I'm okay? Because if we want to help our family, help our friends, be the best version of ourselves. You know, one of my favorite things is you can't pour from an empty cup, right? So you've got to make sure that you're okay. Um, it's that same I'm safe checklist fit for duty thing that we do all the time, right? Making sure that we're okay first before we take on all these responsibilities. And everybody's self-care plan looks a little different. For me, meditation's on mine. Yoga is on mine. Getting outside is on mine. Talking to friends is on mine. But what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy reading? Maybe reading's on yours. Maybe working out is on yours. And so it's really looking at. There's all sorts of apps and things that you can look at on how to make a self-care plan. But it's basically what takes stress off of you. Where do you feel your best? What feels like a good release for you? That you maybe it's hitting a punching bag. Maybe you know. Maybe it's going out. Out for for dinner with your spouse so what what takes that stress away from you maybe it's playing with your kids and you make a list you can make a list of all these different things where you feel good 
that gives you that opportunity to relax, drop your shoulders, talk to people. And then you do those things and you make a commitment to yourself that I'm going to do these things. Um, Because oftentimes we know what's good for us and we know what we should be doing, but we let all of the stressors get in our head. Oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. And that makes us feel overly, that makes us feel even more stressed out because we can't take care of ourselves. We talk ourselves into this, this idea that we're so stressed out that we can't take care of ourselves. And that's not true. You can always do the things that you like and you can always find time to do the things that, that make you happy. And by doing that, you'll realize that, that you're, Stress pyramid, or as I refer to it, tornado of suck, doesn't need to spin so fast. We can kind of we can kind of calm it down and realize that there there are things and ways to help ourselves. So it's important to it's important to take care of yourself. You touched earlier on um, taking care of the caretaker, and as Carrie as Carrie just went through that, it's it becomes more and more important to do so. And that helps those around you, which again will help you. Some great advice and some great strategies there. Just curious, what other things, if anything, would would you want like to express to our ride report listeners? You know, it's we're we're still a new format. We're still a new resource for for our peers. They're not familiar with us, and the best thing that we can do is find ways for them to become familiar with us. Not necessarily just for themselves, but for others around themselves. And so it's important, too, that because this is a self-directed program, if you want to call up one of our committee members individually, you can do that. If you want to call the main line and do that and get, you know, whatever volunteers available that moment, you can do that. If you get a volunteer that you don't like and you want to talk to a different volunteer, you can do that. Um, so it's it's up to you, the, the pilot and need or the caller, how the program works for them. And it's important to know that it's whatever you need. It's not what we say to do. It's, it's what, what do you need from us? And we're here to support you. And then Mike touched on it, the marketing, getting people to talk about us and reducing the stigma and reaching out because it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. There's nothing scary about talking to the, to the pilot sitting next to you in the cockpit. There should be nothing scary about talking to a pilot on the other end of the phone. And even if it does mean that you're going to seek help from a mental health professional, that that is not career ending at all, that there are ways to maintain your medical and get the help that you need and make sure that it, and to ensure your livelihood and ensure your future going forward. So let me float this past you because of the the recent upcropping of PAN committees at other ALPA properties and they have their own dedicated staff. If someone is a JetBlue pilot has a really JetBlue centric issue or or probably it's something that, that they would feel either shameful or embarrassed or otherwise discussing. Is there a way to network them to somebody else who just has no clue what happens yeah. in the JetBlue sphere? Yeah. So we get calls. Um, it happens. I won't say frequently, but but it's it's been known to happen where a pilot will call up JetBlue or otherwise and say, hey, this is the airline I work for, but I don't want to talk to one of our volunteers. And we have um, at the national line, we have 120 volunteers across mainline and regional and cargo. And so if you say, hey, I, I might work for this company, but give me somebody else's volunteer. Um, they, the call center will do that. They will route you to the volunteer that you asked to speak with. So you can say, Hey, I want to talk to, you know, a spirit volunteer or, you know, 
or a Delta volunteer or whatever it is. And, and they'll route you to that person. And then, you know, all, the only thing that we ask is that you be honest with that person. Like, Hey, I fly for this company and I didn't want to talk to them because, because our, our procedure is if you accidentally or by way of not having enough uh, volunteers get routed to a different volunteer, our procedure is to make sure that you get back to that to your own airlines volunteer. So if you don't want to talk to us, just be honest about it. Like, hey, you know, I called up. I want to talk to a volunteer, but I don't want to talk to a JetBlue volunteer. And when that new volunteer answers the phone, say, hey, I really want to talk to you, but I don't want to be routed back to a JetBlue volunteer. This is all phenomenal information and i think simply just saying a thank you to both you carrie and and michael and and the rest of your committee just doesn't really really take care of the the gratitude that that each and every one of you within your committee do each and every day i mean 24 hours a day seven days a week it's phenomenal work and in just sitting here talking more i hope that a lot of people have been able to take away some more of the nuance and, and reduce, like you said, carry some of the stigma that really comes with, with wanting to, to reach out, do it. The number is 309-PPS-ALPA, 309-PPS-ALPA, or 309-777-2572. It's something that should be in your phone, not because you think you're going to call, but because you never know when you might need to refer it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The best way to thank us is to call us. Agreed. When you're feeling stressed, you know. And we and we will then thank you for calling us. We're needy individuals. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we are pilots. <laughs> we are just like you. Talk early, talk often. 309-777-2572. 24 hours a day. Big, small, indifferent, you, your family members, something that's causing any type of stressor in your life. 309-777-2572. And the only thing that I would add is that you, you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to figure out everything by yourself. We are here. We understand what you're going through. You're not the first pilot to go through what you're going through. And we can make sure that, that you're going to have success and that you're going to get the, get the resources that you need and, and end up better for it on the other end. First Officer Kerry Braun, PAN Chair, and Captain Mike Strauss, Vice Chair of the uh, JetBlue Alpha PAN Committee. Guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today to, to give us a little bit more of the intricacies within the PAN Committee. Thank you, JR. Thank you, Tim. I'm JR Hall. Thank you so much for joining us today. And what did you think of our conversation? Let us know with your feedback quickly and easy with a PDR. And I'm Tim Coombs. Special thanks to Kerry and Mike and the entire PAN Committee. Stay engaged and keep informed. Spread the word about our podcast and join us back here on the next edition of Ride Report. Talk early and talk often. Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpa for the union pilots of JetBlue.